Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and the Shark. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your College Hooper of the Week is Drew Lavender. Very, very short former guard from Xavier University. Only 5'7", but had to give a quick shout out to a university from Cincinnati, not of Cincinnati, of course. Cincinnati Bengals going to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow pulling off that incredible upset against Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, So we had to intertwine that a little bit. Drew Lavender, former guard from Xavier. He is your college hooper of the week. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Wishing you all a very happy and healthy first day of Black History Month and the Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year. The college basketball world is observing, by the way, by ranking Auburn number one, as it is, of course, the year of the Tiger, and bookending that ranking with LSU at 25. A lot of cat family representation here in the top 25. You got Kentucky, who's streaking, Houston, Arizona, Villanova. It's the year of the Tiger, gentlemen. Are you observing? Are you celebrating, Taylor? Yes, I am now for sure. Uh, I wasn't planning on previously, but since it's still the first of the month, I have I have a full month to to celebrate. So thank you for bringing that up. Of course, needed to be brought up. Shark, any festivals, any festivities going on in in the parlor celebrating the Lunar New Year? Well, you can see the hat I'm wearing right now. It's uh, a beanie. It's got the Washington Redskins with their three Super Bowl championships that they've won in the, their franchise history. By the time you're listening to this show tomorrow, there will be a new team name. So I just wanted to represent the brand one last time. Uh, also breaking today was the Brian Flores lawsuit, which within that the owner told Flores to lose games, which walk with me for a second here, 2019, he's getting an incentive to lose games. One of those games he lost to was against the Redskins on a two point conversion when they could have sent it to overtime. 
had the Redskins lost that game. Here comes the domino the effect. Well, then they would have had the first overall pick. That first overall pick would have been Joe Burrow instead of Chase Young. I'd be two-stepping right now instead of sitting in some cold-ass parlor. Lunar New Year, Black History Month, Joe Burrow, football team, Stephen Ross. Uh, we haven't even discussed Tom Brady officially retiring. What a what a crazy day in the world of uh, football. But we're a college basketball podcast. I'm glad we were able to acknowledge all of that. We have a huge show for you, especially if you're an Arizona fan. We have A.J. Bramlett coming up here in a little bit. A, a wonderful interview with him. So I'm excited for you guys to hear that. But first and foremost, I want to talk a little bit about Texas Tech fans versus Chris Beard. And here's a little context for you. So I saw Jeff Goodman's video of Texas Tech fans camping out, which they were probably camping out for the Texas game, right? Not just to camp out to berate Chris Beard. Fine. But the level of vitriol Chris Beard is getting, to me, is a little outrageous. There's levels to disdain and anger towards a person. I think Tech fans are a little bit beyond what is actually justified. Of course, boo him. Of course, I get you're pissed at him. He went to a rival, blah, blah, blah. We're going to open up all of this. But my general thought is that tech fans are a little bit too angry at Chris Beard. And I got into it with a few of the theater goers on Twitter. I'll open it up to you guys first to get your thoughts. And then I'll present my case. Shark, I think your team tech fans here, yeah? Yeah, sorry, I was muted there for a second. But, yeah, of course I'm on the side of the good people, the good folks of Lubbock, Texas. I mean, those guys bought into what uh, Chris Beard was doing when he first latched on there, and he played the us-against-the-world mentality. He played into there. We're the little men. Let's go play the big bad boys from Austin. He fed that underlying sentiment that the good folks of Lubbock, Texas had, and then he cuts and dries and leaves them later on in his career. But yeah, you and I were getting into this offline. You were talking all about, oh, yeah, you can't hate on someone for going on a career move. And, and I get that. But you can certainly hate on them for doing it as well. I mean, why wouldn't you have the vitriol for someone that played into your emotions, played into you being the little brother amongst all these Big 12 schools, especially in Texas all the time? I mean, Texas, if you're going to Texas Tech, I mean, unless you're like a farmer from that part of Texas, you, you probably wanted to go to one of those other schools in Texas. Let's be honest about that. I mean, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but it, it probably is the lower tier school out of all the other ones within the region of Texas. You're looking at me like I've got heads coming out of my head here. But uh, Why can't that translate to a head coach? You don't think Chris Beard's had that exact same thought? Because what his whole lexicon, his whole platform that got Texas Tech in that position in the first place was feeding into that. And then to pull it out and leave and then go become one of those bad boys on the block afterwards, of course there's going to be hate and resentment after the fact. Let's not forget that Chris Beard spent time at Texas Tech as well. I believe he was on Bobby Knight's staff when he was there. So, there, of course, there's going to be some level of loyalty. I mean, you can go back and read the press, press clippings. I think he got hired in uh, 2016, but he's saying this is my dream job. This is where I want to be. And I know you got to take that with a grain of salt, but just because I'm taking it with a grain of salt doesn't mean I can't be pissed off at you after it happens. So I'm all for them going after him as long as they're not assaulting him, you know, you know, hurting him and breaking the law. You know, go you know, flip him off on the bus. Go scream at him. Go do everything you have to do to get the W. So I think part of the factor here – for Chris Beard and why I would maybe lean a little more towards pro Chris Beard here is Texas. This is alma mater. So there's gotta be a little bit where like, okay, yeah, the fans are going to hate you this, that, but like you talk about loyalty, 
he's he's got two places that he can be loyal to i guess in, in theory and he's got to choose one of them if you're the alma mater if you got if you have the opportunity to coach your alma mater that you got to take that so i mean i guess i understand the hatred i'm a little surprised at how big of uh of a deal this has become i was a little surprised by that but there's got to be a little bit in the back of your mind if you're a texas tech fan that's like okay well this he did go coaches back to his alma mater so i'm I'm a, I guess I'm a little surprised at how much hate there is, especially considering that te- he has he was kind of the foundational guy that built Texas Tech into what they are right now, which is maybe even a better basketball program than Texas is currently as it, as as we sit here. So I I don't know I I don't mean to be wishy washy, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that Tech or Texas being his alma mater is kind of the difference maker for me as to why I think it, there might be a little more hate than is necessary. You hit all of my points Taylor for the most part yes I understand that you have hatred for this guy but again like I said there's levels this is encroaching on like Lane Kiffin versus Tennessee levels of hate and a thing that we haven't brought up you alluded to it a little bit by saying he built the program uh Chris Beard got Texas Tech I want to I might just pause here there might be like five seconds of silence Texas Tech people on the precipice of a national championship. He's been to an elite eight. Okay. Final four, all of that. And Texas tech fans have the gall to be like, fuck you, Chris Beard for leaving. I don't care that you got us to a national title game appearance. I don't care that we were within a minute of, of having a, a championship parade at Texas tech in Lubbock. It doesn't good things don't happen to Texas tech basketball. The reason they did is because of Chris Beard. Like I said, I understand he left for a rival, but again, that's his alma mater, okay? I understand getting upset at him, but he did so much, pretty much everything he could in Lubbock. And, oh, look at that. A school has an opening with crazy amounts of money where I can go home. And like you had mentioned, he started his career there. Technically, his coaching career as a grad assistant started at the University of Texas. So I, I feel like I'm pretty sure there's a police presence in Lubbock on the court for him. I mean, boo him spew vitriol the the providence crier he said he tried to make a comparison between eric gordon who uh, originally committed to illinois and then flipped to indiana i get being upset about that but eric gordon he never won you or got you to a final four he never got you to a national title game appearance illinois okay so i understand the hatred there you're a vols fan you know this better than anyone knoxville was fuming at Lane Kiffin. He didn't do shit at Tennessee. He didn't give them anything to even grasp onto or be like, yes, thank you for this, but screw you also. Texas Tech, I mean, Chris Beard gave Texas Tech pretty much all you can ask for as a Texas Tech basketball fan. That's why I'm saying the police presence, all of this stuff, what the hell are we doing here? A couple points to push back on. First of all, Texas Tech, you, you talk about them like they're the South Harmon Institute of Technology. Ask me about my winner. Accepted reference right there if you haven't seen that movie. But, I mean, they're not they're, – they're Texas Tech. I mean, Bobby Knight's coached there. Tubby Smith is coached there. They, they've been – they've had success in the tournament. They've made the tournament. They've made six, sweet 16s without, uh, without Chris Beard. All right, so they're not like some team that has never tasted success in their entire program history. Next point, I think there's a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes that we're not necessarily aware of between his departure. One of those points being, you know, there seems to be some distaste, at least from Mark Adams, the current Texas Tech coach, 
and the fan base. I'm not going to pretend like I'm on the message boards knowing exactly what happened, but there's a report of them potentially getting in a fight out in Lubbock or verbal fight in, out in public. There's also the side of, you know, people just being so angry with them. You guys seem to take issue with the fact that they are angry and they're passionate about why they're angry. Well, the reason for that is probably because he fed into that mentality like I led with on my original point. He probably played this up to them. It's as if promising a girl you're going to love her and marry her forever. And then as soon as some girl, hot girl from your past comes along, you go ahead and propose to her and you leave the other one high and dry in Lubbock. All right. They're in Lubbock. They're pissed off. So I, I totally understand why they're angry. And, you know, to compare it to Tennessee, I, I mean, that's just another passionate fan base. So I, I, I think. They, one, I don't think he built the program. I think you guys, there's a distinction between a program that was nothing becoming something and what Texas Tech is. So it's not, yes, this team is still good right now with a lot of Texas Tech recruits that Chris Beard would have had. But, I mean, he was the coach of that team last year. So let's let's cool the Jets a little bit. Any coach that leaves a program to go to a better program is going to have a good roster at his previous program. There's always going to be that foundational piece there. You just look at my guy, uh, uh when um, Nate Oates took over for Buffalo after Bobby Hurley left to go to Arizona State, that pro that all those pieces were still in place, and then he took them to the tournament. They got trounced by who? Texas Tech. Full circle. Where am I right now? But that's the kind of points I wanted to make at this point. You guys are acting like Texas Tech was, you know, a butt cheeks program. South Harmon Institute of Technology. I would push back on that. You don't get legends like Bobby Knight to come coach that school. He's not, but they weren't a butt cheeks program, but. Nobody associates basketball with Texas Tech. Right now, they're a basketball school, and it's strictly because of Chris Beard. They were a football school, 100%. Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree, they're a foot, they were a football school. Chris Beard comes in in about five, six years, turns them into a national title contender and a basketball school. Well, he's, no. the, he's the greatest coach that school has they ever were never seen. Gonna, they were never going to win the national title last year. Okay, they went on a run to the national championship that one year. It was a kind of e an easy path, and they got all the way to the end. There it so is. It okay. was. It was. Go I mean, look, dude, who do? It surprised just, everyone. You didn't see it happening. It was, who, it was a Cinderella right. run. Are you going to call Butler a national title contender after they go one year? They. I mean, look, dude. They've they've built something. I mean, there's an ESPN they have video. One run. They had one run, and they went to a lead eight they the next couple. year. At the same they had a couple. No, they had, they, right? they were always eights. dangerous. They had pretty fucking good. Okay, and you're acting like he's you know freaking John Wooden over here. Right, you don't think two elite, you don't think you don't think two elite eights is uh, satisfactory enough for a Texas Tech? No, fan? that's not what I'm saying. You're acting like he built this program into a perennial title contender. They were not a title contender last year. He's built right, them into stunk. a basketball. They achieved last year. They brought in Mac McClung. Everyone's dancing around about his team that they had. They stunk. They got they got the floor wiped by by Muscle Milk. All right. So I don't think they're as transcendent of a program as you're making them out to be. I think if you went into last year, they wouldn't have been someone that you would have projected to win the title. So what? Taylor, I mean, yeah, uh, one uh, run. I'll let think, you jump in here in a second. I just want to say real quick, though, the only reason why this fan base is so passionate is because they're good. The only reason they're so good is because of Chris Beard. Go ahead, Taylor. Bullshit. Uh, McConaughey. How to lose a guy in 10 days. Bullshit. I think that program was decent enough beforehand. Go ahead, Taylor. Sorry. Well, they hadn't made the tournament for 10 years before Chris Beard. So I butt cheeks is kind of what they were. They were literally last in the Big 12 in attendance during that time as well. So, um, you would not have seen Texas Tech basketball fans lining up to see the next coach outside uh, in 2010, for example, because there wouldn't have been that many people that even cared about Texas Tech basketball. Um, also, 
your point about Butler is not a good one because they literally went to back-to-back national championship games. So I don't know what you're trying to make with that point of them going to one national championship game. Okay, so were they, were they perennial title contenders in the years That's after that? What saying. It's, called, what... it's called the tournament. It's a tournament run, right? Wichita State, when they were good for a few years, you're not acting like Greg Marshall has a t- perennial contender every single year. I think the point being is that they're not necessarily national title contenders every year because literally no school pretty much in the whole country is a national contender, national title contender every year. The point being is that now they could definitely be considered a top 15 or 20 school in the country. uh, And that's been proven this year because that's right where they're at. I think all of this brings up a really interesting point. It's not necessarily solving the debate between you two, but it's funny how, the rivalries in the state of Texas are unlike probably any other school situation in the country, because we can make direct comparisons of a coach leaving Arizona to go to ASU or Alabama to Tennessee or something like that. Texas doesn't consider Texas tech TCU, any of those other schools as rivals, only the Texas techs and all those, only the small schools consider Texas a rival, not the other way around. And so I think that kind of, plays into this more than anything else is it's just uh, almost uh, the Texas tech fans being upset that Texas wins again, more than it is even about Chris Beard in general. It's baby brother syndrome. That's what we're seeing. Like I said, I have no issues with getting mad and yelling at him and being pissed. I understand there's a level of, of anger, but to go with a police presence, things like that, I don't know. That's just me. I, look, I'm not going to gatekeep. I'm not going to dictate how you express your fandom, but I will make fun of you if if you're acting like a lunatic unjustifiably. That's what I'm doing here. So it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, well, we can't all root for blue blood programs and just know what it's like to be at the top of the, the field every single year and then underachieve. No offense, but, um, you know, we keep, we don't know. Not everyone is in your position and you guys are out here judging the little guy programs that don't have a generally successful team every single year and the expectations that go with it. So like I said in the beginning, I stand with the good people of Lubbock. Continue to do your thing. Don't listen to these Arizona hotty-totty guys that are judging you for yelling at a coach that spurned you uh, in the dead of the night. I am rooting for Texas Tech, though, in that game. Just throwing that because I just generally don't like Texas as, as a whole. So I'm, I'm pro Texas tech in that game, dude. Oh. I've been the biggest crit- critic of Texas since the beginning of the year, everyone jumping on their bandwagon. I was like, all these transfers are going to take time to mesh transfers that didn't necessarily play well in their previous stints. And now I'm over here defending Texas and Chris Beard, hoping they go into Lubbock and win. I don't know where the hell I am either. Well, that's what happens when you're a perennial fence sitter. You know, you got, we got to set up a, for both of you where we can get a, a seat that can sit on a fence and you can swivel around and make an argument that's cool at the times anytime you want to do it. I've been anti, I've been anti Texas like pretty much my whole life. So I'm not sure where I'm pretty far on that side of that fence. This is, this is, he's the little brother in, in this trio. This is Texas Tech personified right here. Just angry. As, as well as a Washington football team fan, kind of. I, I feel that leaking out as well. Yeah. Well, the good people of Lubbock, I'm with you. Good folks. All right. Let's go ahead and get to your bets now in Please, Sir. I want some more. Please, sir. I want some more. What? 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 Some more. Let's recap last week. Uh, Taylor. Let me pull this up real quick. You don't need to pull it up. Yeah, there's, not a lot, there's not a lot to see here. <laughs> That's true. 0 for 3. Murray State did not cover against Tennessee Tech. South Dakota did not cover against North Dakota State. And Colorado 
the Titch Bowl did not cover Washington. Uh, Shark, on the other hand, the three and zero man. What a what an up and down roller coaster year between the two of you. Ohio State did cover minus four against Minnesota. Purdue covered against Iowa minus two, and then Washington plus three and a half against Colorado. They had that one in hand. Colorado came back, I think, a little bit, made it a nail biter. Shark sitting at nine and eight. Taylor sitting at ten and eight, neck and neck. Uh, Shark, I'm going to start with you. Give me some winners. All right. Yeah. 3-0 last week. Um, I mean, what else do I have to say right now? I mean, it was 3-0. So this week I'm just going to stick in the ACC for all these games. Um, I will begin with a team that I like to go on a little bit of a run right now. I love the way they played on Saturday night. Syracuse is going to Raleigh. They're playing NC State, and they're getting a point and a half. I see Syracuse going, getting hot in the ACC. I love Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard. Um, I think they have the tools to really get hot. I know they're a 500 team. I know I told Subi a couple of weeks ago they're a tournament team. It doesn't look good right now, but I just like the pieces that I have. I'm just going to roll with a team that's got experience in Syracuse, and I think NC State's a pile of trash. Uh, the next pick I'm going to take is another team getting points in the ACC, surprising to me, but Florida State. Florida State is playing in Clemson. I do not like Clemson. I, th- I think the the metrics, the Ken Palm numbers would not back me up on this pick, but I just like the fact that Florida State, they kind of had a little bit of a run against Virginia Tech on Saturday in the second half. They're getting four in Clemson. Clemson's kind of a dead dog at this point. I'm not sure how much they're really hanging in on this season. And Florida State, if they win this one, they have a favorable schedule coming up where they can rattle off about three more, uh, three straight ACC games. They play Wake Forest. They play Pitt, who is just atrocious. Uh, And then I think they have another fairly winnable game after that. The third one I have is a team that I've enjoyed all year, despite the fact that they are a school that I don't like. It's Notre Dame. They played absolutely horrific against Duke on Monday night. This is a quick turnaround. Uh, Everything is screaming, don't make this pick. But I like the fact that they are getting five points from what I'm seeing um, against Miami. Miami, they just keep rolling. They keep rolling every single game. Uh, I keep picking against them. Eventually, something's got to give. I would have expected this if this was played on a neutral court, I think it's probably closer to a pick them. I don't think Miami's going to have much of a home court presence. Maybe they do, maybe they won't, but I like, I like Dane Goodwin. I like Prentice hub. I like Blazowski shooting threes. Um, I just like that Notre Dame team. And I think they just shot so horrifically against Duke that things will even out provided they still got legs underneath them from the other night. So my three picks should be Syracuse getting a point and a half Florida state. Let me Taylor, what'd you get on that? I'm seeing, I saw one, that says five. I saw one that says four. Uh, I let me. I'd have to pull it up. Yeah, I don't have it in All front right. of me. My bad. I shouldn't have put you on the spot. I do. It's four. I'd see four. And then the last one's Notre Dame getting five against Miami. Is Brad Brownell still at Clemson? How the hell does that guy still have a job? He is. I mean, nobody that nobody must care about Clemson basketball. The guy's just been mired in mediocrity for ten years, and he's just cushy, flying below the radar. Good for him. They're kind of like the Texas Tech of uh, the ACC, circa five years ago, maybe six. I would, I would, I would say is probably where they're at in terms of a basketball program. Apparently, wouldn't take a lot to turn it around, though. Um, so, uh, you know, last week, tough week for me. Clearly, didn't have my head on straight after a Packer loss that was devastating. Wasn't putting the effort in. Year of accountability. Uh, 
I, that's on me. So we can only go up from new here, lunar though. year, Chinese yeah, new, year, <laughs> new lunar year. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So I guess my accountability, my accountability levels to the moon in the sense that I was just not there last week. So uh, this week's a new week. So let's let's get it going. Uh, first game I'm going to take. I'm going to go with Kansas State minus two at home against Oklahoma State. Both teams are 500 on the year at 10 and 10. Oklahoma State is not good on the road, and they are only 7 and 13 against the spread this week or this year. Uh, this game is more than anything else just a, a pick them between which game or which team is at home, and I am going with the home team. That's Kansas State by two. Next game. You guys can tell me I'm a little off base with this because I am very pro Arkansas, but Arkansas is only a nine point favorite at Georgia and Georgia's fucking terrible. So um, I'm going with Arkansas in this game minus nine. I know that they aren't quite as good as they were last year. And I know that they've had some struggles this year. They are now seven and three in their last 10. Uh, but I do feel like this line should be stretched out a little more and it might stretch out a little more by the time Uh anybody hears this episode but right now i got him at minus nine arkansas over georgia and i'm gonna pull a shark right now just given the guests we have on this program and the fact that i'm going to be in section 14 row 23 seats five and six in tucson on thursday night i'm going a blind line arizona whatever it is over ucla uh arizona had a terrible shooting night uh at poly pavilion last week uh when they lost ucla by 16 I anticipate them to bounce back from that. They kind of struggled against ASU this week. Uh, UCLA obviously playing well, but I am going to go with Arizona at home. Some Mikhail Magic blind line over UCLA. So Arizona, Arkansas, and Kansas State. Great picks, gentlemen. Uh, it wasn't just at Pauly, by the way. I hate to be self-critical, but it was also in Mikhail Center on Saturday against well, ASU. Well, yeah, I meant regarding this specific matchup, yes. But I, yeah, I, I'm with you. They, huge they game on Thursday. Huge game on Thursday. If you're a theater goer, go find Taylor. Where, where are you sitting again, Taylor? Uh, section 14. For those Arizona fans, you'll know that section as the section where Lute Olson used to see, used to sit. So kind of in that range. Go find Taylor. All right. Let's go ahead now and get to our interview with Arizona legend, AJ Bramlett. All right, we now welcome, honestly, a personal hero of mine and Taylor's, a man who is partially responsible for helping us in college basketball debates with, with fans of other teams, an all-Pac-10 team member, a national champion, the host of Bear Down Ballers on the Field of 68 Podcast Network, and most importantly, a University of Arizona legend. It's AJ Bramlett. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Hey, did I miss any superlatives there? Hey, it was pretty good, man. You know, I'll take that. I can't, I can't be, I can't, uh, I can take that, man. That was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Well, Hey, cheers to 25 years since the national title. Have we, have we popped any champagne? Have we done any celebrating? What have we done to commemorate? Man, it's crazy, man. I couldn't even believe it's 25 years, you know, already. Um, we're planning, trying to plan something for the summer, man, where we can all get together and, and hang out. Um, you know, everybody's all over the place doing doing good things uh, in their lives. But, you know, it's always fun when we all get to get back together and laugh and tell the stories and just reminisce about that run, man. And 25 years of shot by, I'll tell you that much, man. <laughs> Dude, you're already killing all of the questions that I'm trying to ask you here because that's I guess I can take that one. What's the what's the plan to celebrate this year? So I actually was going to ask, has the school – 
I don't remember them honoring you guys at halftime or before a game yet this year. Have they done that? Yeah, no, they haven't yet. I don't know. I don't. I haven't heard any any plans for that either. So I'm, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, they did at the twenty year uh, at the twenty year for some reason, but yeah, not the twenty five. But um, we've been talking though, man. We've been talking about trying to meet up in Vegas during uh, during the NBA summer league and all get together out there because a lot of guys are you know still doing NBA stuff, coaching out there. So we can get everybody together. And, just to have a good time, man. I, that's always the – I just love those times, man. I can't, I can't put anything above it, for real. <laughs> so let's go back to the very beginning because you can't tell the story of Arizona's 97 national title without you. You can't tell the story, obviously, without the legend Lou Olson. We're always fascinated when we get former players onto the program what their recruitment looks like because our listeners – they may not be a high-level D1 prospect. Take us through your recruitment period and what it was like when you first met Lute Olsen specifically. Well, I mean, Coach O is just – I mean, he was amazing. So, like, whenever he, you know, called or – and especially when he came to my house, you know, to be with my parents and I in my living room, it was just like – it was like having the president at your house, man, <laughs> pretty much. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I was being heavily recruited by a lot of schools. Um, you know, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and so I'd really narrowed it down already to either uh, UNM, New Mexico Lobos, or Arizona. And I only went on two official visits, one to UNM and one to Arizona. And, uh, you know, Coach had been heavily recruited me since the summer. I played on uh, New Mexico flight AAU team, and we had won one of those big – back then there was only a couple tournaments, not, not like it is now where there was, there's you know, 9,000 AAU tournaments. Back then there was like three, and there was one in Vegas, one in Phoenix – they won in Orlando, and we ended up winning the uh, the one in Phoenix. So, like, we all started getting heavily recruited. That's what kind of, kind of coach jumped on and started recruiting me. And you know, I was I'd always liked Arizona, though. I'd always followed the program. Um, you know, I was at the game when the Lobos beat Arizona. They were ranked number one when I was a kid. So, but I always liked the, just how Arizona functioned and the players that they had and the style of the program. So, um, you know, coach called me and was like, "Hey, I got a scholarship for you." You know, I really want you to come. I think you're a good piece, you know, the final piece that, you know, we need for our recruiting. And I was like, all right, I'm coming, <laughs> basically, you know what I mean? And everyone, then everybody in New Mexico hated me, though, after that for a while. So, you know, you had to deal with, you had to deal with both of those things. <laughs> you go from being the local hero to the guy that, you know, is leaving, leaving your community. Uh, but, you know, it was way worth it for me. It was the best decision I ever made, you know, in my athletic career. And, you know, I got to play for Coach Olsen and play with a heck of a group of guys. And, and you know, winning the championship was kind of the icing on the cake, especially for making that decision. So <laughs> can't argue with them with a the ring. <laughs> so I guess if you can expand on that even more, because at the time, you know, Arizona was not the longstanding national powerhouse that it is now. It was kind of an up and comer in the world, almost like a, uh, you know, almost like a Baylor is now, you know, really yeah. only, a, you know, a decade of success, if that even, you know, leading up to that. Uh, other than New Mexico and all of your neighbors hating you, what were some of your other thoughts on the program at that time? Oh, man, they get out and run or, oh, this really fits my style. Kind of elaborate on that if you can. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, I was back then, you know, my greatest asset was running the court and, and you know, running up and down, being quick, uh, athletic, playing fast and, um, you know, giving an opportunity for guys to really, you know, get out and get out and run. Like you said, that, that's a fun style to play similar to what they're doing right now. Um, and Coach Olson gave you gave you a lot of freedom. Like if you had to prove yourself to him, but once you did, he let you play your game. And so that's what I liked. And I also liked, you know, I, I love David and, and Khalid and those teams. You know, I watched Sean Elliott, you know, all and Steve Kerr and those guys. So I I'd been following the program, and they just seemed like they had 
a family atmosphere, which is really what it was. Once you got there, you really saw that. But even through the recruitment process and the way that it was handled, and you know, Bobby Olson and what what she did, you know, for everybody back back in the day, and um, it was just like, hey, I, I like these guys. You know, these are good people. You know, these are guys that are high level players. And Coach Olson is just Coach O, man. He's a legend. So, um, and he was still that. He still felt that way. You know, during that time, like he was so put together and so stately that it's like, you're just like, wow, this guy, you know, <laughs> this guy is amazing. So it was just, uh, it was an honor for me to be able to play for him. Well, it, it's an honor to be fans and having you on this program because of that 97 run. And it's, it's pretty mainstream at this point. I think I'd shout it from the rooftops, any chance that I get, but you ended up beating three number one seeds in route to winning the whole thing. Take us inside that locker room, your team, AJ. Was there any fear or apprehension, second guessing, going into those games against those number one ranked teams or number one seeds? Excuse me. You know what, man? There, there was zero, and that's you know I've said this before, and it's the truth. Is like I don't know where our maybe it's because we were so young. You know, we didn't have any seniors on that team. Um, you know, we we were just out there playing, but we had such belief in ourselves and what we could do, even though. You know, we had a tough season. Like we didn't, we were not like we were killing everybody. We we had some good wins that year. We played in the Pac-10 was like really tough that year. So we had a lot of losses, but like we believed in our talent and we were clicking at the right time. And so like I say this like before the Kansas game, like we we were laughing and shoot around. We were loose, you know what I mean? I mean no pressure, just having a good time, messing around. And you know, that was kind of how we felt, but we knew we were gonna beat them. Like we we knew it in our locker room and our guys. We were going to beat them. No one else believed that. No one else in the country believed that. But we knew it was going to happen. So, like, it wasn't a surprise to us that we were beating these teams. You know, we had beat North Carolina to start the year that year. You know, we beat Utah. It was really good that year. We, we had a lot of good wins that year. It's just that we had a lot of losses, and we had two losses going into the tournament. So, everybody really wasn't expecting much from us. And Arizona, you know, it's historically had some flameouts, you know, early in the tournament. So, people, I think, were thinking that's what we were going to do. But that wasn't what we were thinking was going to happen at all. So I'd imagine that Arizona being or your your version of Arizona, that team had was the third highest scoring team in the country that year. So you probably still knew that you could score on anybody, which I'm sure yeah. gave you guys that confidence to go forward. Now, all that being said, was there a point, was it maybe after beating Kansas or any point involved where you're like, we could we could win this whole thing this year? You know what? I I think that it really like this was it was just game by game like we weren't we weren't looking ahead we were such in the moment of you know we were playing good basketball we were having a good time we were enjoying it our families were enjoying it it was a great run and we just had supreme confidence and chemistry like that's all i always say about the 97 team is i played on a lot of teams and you know championship teams and uh, in other countries and you know uh, I, i've coached high school championships you know i played for a high school championship and won in, in, in high school all those teams have similar kind of things that they have in common, but this team was like pure, just chemistry. Like nobody was trying to go to the NBA. Nobody had a personal agenda. None of that. We were just out there playing, trying to be the best that we could be. And we all really liked each other from the first guy, you know, all the way down to the last guy on the bench. And so like, it was, it was just fun. Like to us, like, we were just making a run. We were so young. I, I'm looking back now. I'm like, damn, I can't believe we did that. You know what I mean? But, now, like during the time, it was just like, hey, like <laughs> next game up, let's go beat these guys too. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's almost, it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. You're so, you're just yeah. young and dumb, and you're ready to take on the world at that point. And you mentioned fun. Obviously, we've seen so many collegiate teams, whether it be in football, basketball, 
they go crazy after winning the title. Joe Burrow smoking cigars after <laughs> LSU wins. What I want to know, and you'd speak to the youth, this is just generally speaking, man. Take me behind the curtain after the cameras stop rolling on CBS, after Jim Nance takes off the headset, after you guys leave the stage. Like, you're technically underage. Is there, like, are you guys drinking beer? Are you partying? Are yeah, you smoking what? cigars? What's the deal? And that's crazy because we were in Indianapolis and like the weather was awful. Um, you know, there was nothing open. I think we went to like Steak and Shake or something afterwards and got and got some food and some French fries. Um, I, I always remember though after the championship, we we went and uh, they had the Sears Trophy. You know, what I mean the big crystal trophy that, and they had that in a small room. And like Coach Olson was in there, and all of us were in there with like our family and everything. And it was just. It was just like a crazy moment. I, I'll always remember that. I don't remember what was said or anything. It was just like surreal. But um, I'll always remember that moment of Coach O with that trophy right there. Um, you know, and just the, the the amazing time that we were having during that time. But the party didn't happen until we got home, man. <laughs> we got back to Tucson. It was about a two-month stretch. It didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Just real quick follow-up. Uh, how was that plane ride, too? That plane we, back to we Tucson? We were tired, man. Like, it, it was weird because – like, it was so surreal what happened, and, you know, it was um, so emotional that we were all just dead. Like, we were tired. And when we got back, you know, finally got back to Tucson, that's when we went directly to the football stadium. You know what I mean? They picked us up in, like, convertibles, drove us to the football stadium. There was, like, I don't know, 50,000 fans there or whatever. So it was just like you were running off pure adrenaline, there, <laughs> you know. But I'll never forget it. I actually found uh, I had a, uh, a tape a VHS tape of that, of that celebration the other day that I found looking through some old stuff and watched it. It was hilarious. man. <laughs> so what was, was there anything specifically other than kind of what you just said that you kind of step back now and especially like going into the football stadium, you know, cause we've, we obviously Taryn and I have just seen videos of all this and right. I'm, I mean, the first game I ever remember watching as like a seven-year-old was actually the Arizona National Championship game. I didn't, I w- didn't quite catch on to the Fourth Avenue riots and stuff that were happening yeah, at right. the time. But did you ever just step back in that moment and be like, "Holy shit! Like this, we really like, pulled this it off." Didn't, it, it really didn't happen. Like it didn't happen until like a month later. Like there was so much going on, and like you know, we had events all the time, and you know, some we had to make appearances, and you know, we were just we were going, 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 like as soon as we got back, like until like probably a month and a half later, we kind of sat back and we're like, wow, that was amazing what we did. And then we had to go to Australia that summer. <laughs> right after that, none of us wanted to go. <clears throat> we were we were like trying to boycott the trip. Coach Olsen wouldn't let us do it. We were just all burnt out, man. We went on that trip and that trip was <laughs> interesting too. <laughs> and so we had some good times there, but we uh, we tried to get out of it. It was hilarious. Well, I'll tell you that story. So we get to Australia, right? And uh, it's like we're there for three or four days. We haven't done anything. We're just sitting in a hotel. Like, it's awful. And so and Coach O's going out on, you know, he's going out having, you know, good dinners and all kinds of stuff. And we're like, this this is awful. And so we go, we get together in uh, our room, and we're like, all right. So we all powwow. We're like, we're going to Coach O's room, and we're going to tell him that we're not taking no for an answer. We're, we're going home tomorrow. And so we go, we go to his room. We all walk in. He's like, "Hello." And then the first thing, the first thing he says is, "Whatever you guys have to say, we're not going home at all." And so then it's just complete silence in the room. There's, just, there's no nobody speaks up. Nobody has the, the balls to say anything. Then we just sit there. And we're like, 
well, okay. And so then like the rest of the trip was better. Like we did a bunch of outings and, you know, he put together some stuff for us to do. And, uh, it was cool after that, but yeah, that's, that was, nobody was, nobody had the, 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 the balls to say anything, man. It was crazy. <laughs> so I guess let's talk about that off season a little more, you know, the previous year, expectations weren't extremely high by any means. And then now all of a sudden you guys are top of the world, you know, number one preseason have all these NBA prospects. How was the preparation for being the, the hunted be, you know, different from being the hunter. The yeah, that, you know, that's kind of what I, you know, I've always said about that team. Like that, our 98 team was, you know, 10, 20 times better than our 97 team. Like we were, machine that year like we we were so good we made a few mistakes you know what i mean we put you know 25 0 runs on teams we had great defense we were just really good but you know it was a little bit different because it was guys last years you know what i mean they were they had the nba in mind you know what i mean and everyone was talking about it, it kind of changed the dynamic of our team and we were a better team but when it got down to you know like the utah game and us having to fight back like we fell apart in that game like and so that's always kind of something that I, you know, I regret that we weren't able to get that done. Because I think if we would have gotten to the Final Four that year, I really think we would have won it again. But there was a lot of pressure. It was just different. You know, I mean, the year before, was there was no pressure. No one expected anything from us. Having everyone expect you to, and I think we were the number one overall seed that year, expect you to win is different. And so we weren't, we weren't enjoying the wins as much. You know what I mean? We weren't like... It was just like, okay, we knocked that one off. Okay, now let's get the next one. It was just like we expected to get there, and it was just kind of a different feeling. So, And it didn't work out for us, you know? It's always interesting to go inside the mindset of a team with expectations and without, and it's fascinating to listen to that. But we're going to ping-pong back and forth here, AJ, so bear with us. I want to go back to the 97 title game celebration. Was the loot hair mess up? Was that calculated? Like, was that something that you guys said, hey, if we're winning this game – Coach O's hair is getting messed up. That was all Bennett, man. That was all Bennett. That was all spontaneous Bennett Davidson action. <laughs> that's, that's just that was Bennett in a, in a nutshell, man. He would just always do do whatever he he felt like doing at the time, and you know it's an iconic moment. Um, people always mix me up and think that I was the one that did it a lot of times, and I'm like, no, nah, that was Bennett. Um, and so that you know, was an awesome moment, you know. Coach, I, I think. That was the only time he would have let Bennett do that. So I'll tell you. And, you know, he he, uh, he got it back in place pretty quickly, though. I don't know how he – I think he did just like one or two things. It was like right back. So It's almost like a recoil effect by his hair. It knows it's not in its natural place. It needs to get back ASAP. I'm going to follow that up because – one of my one of my biggest takes during the tournament is that, or even postseason play, is that conference tournaments are overlooked, and the greatest part about the tournament itself, in my opinion, is one shining moment. It's just a beautiful, perfect encapsulation of the entire run, and then highlighting the national champions. Can you take us through your emotions, what you were feeling, the very first time you watched your one shining moment? Man, it was like a dream come true, to be honest. Because, I mean, as a kid growing up, you watched so many NCAA tournaments, and that was always the best part of it. And then, you know, for me to be in it still, every year I still watch it. Like in March, <laughs> I'll watch ours again, you know what I mean? <laughs> every time I'm watching a good game in the tournament or whatever, it's just uh, something that's, you know, life-lasting. And, you know, you're blessed to be a part of that and, you know, part of basketball history like that. It's just that music and just everything about it is perfect. So it just – it just brings up those emotions every single day, every single time I listen to it. 
I mean, I, I watched Arizona's before every tournament too. And I, like I said, I was like seven at the time. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess continuing in almost reverse order now. Um, so going into that game against Kentucky, obviously the, the uh, defending national champions, they're a- absolutely stacked. Nazi Muhammad, Scott Padgett, Ron Mercer, Jamal McGlore, Anthony Epps, Derek Anderson, all these NBA players, all these all Americans, um, and the game was pretty slow paced for how you guys actually played throughout the entire year. Uh, you guys uh, averaged something like 84 points a game that year. Yeah. And obviously in overtime, it, I, you didn't even get to uh, that number. Was What was that game like? Was it different, you know, playing such a high level competition where you're not necessarily up and running in the same uh, situation and or as previous in the year? And I guess what else do you remember specifically from the game itself? Yeah, I think, you know, that uh, I think the, the thing that I remember most about that game is, uh, you know, Mike Bibby handling the pressure of Kentucky. And I think that they thought that they could turn us over a bunch. And, you know, I, I played a part in that too, kind of our big guys did too, playing the middle of the press and making plays and facilitating a little bit. But the way that Mike handled that pressure, like he never, I don't know if he turned the ball over at all during that game. And, you know, they were kind of double team him. He would just get around and make the right play and, like his basketball IQ was so good that I think that was surprising to them that they weren't able to force many turnovers for us. Yeah, it did slow down, you know, our offense a little bit, but, and it was a physical game like Jamal McGlure and, you know, Nazi Muhammad, two big old dudes. <laughs> and Scott Padgett was a really good player. Uh, Wayne Turner, you know, they, they just had a really stacked team, but we had been used to playing competition like that through the year. Um, you know, we had just beat North Carolina in the semis, which was, you know, same thing, same high level. So it wasn't something that we were surprised about. Uh, I think that we did a good job with the game plan that Coach Olson put together for us. And then it was just really battling it out, man, to see who could make more plays and uh, take, you know, take care of business down the stretch. And, um, you know, in overtime, nobody scored, um, you know, a basket. It was all free throws. And, you know, that was Donnell Harris coming out, fouled out. You know, I barely got to play in the championship game. I'm still pissed about that. They called like two left fouls on me to go back and look. But <laughs> but Donnell came in and, and did what he needed to do to help us win that championship. Dude. And that's like a, a key to what, what made us successful. It's like it was next guy up. All the guys contributed. No matter who came in, they knew their roles, and they did their roles. And the, the coach also put us in the roles that we needed to be successful, and our guys did it. So I live in Scottsdale, and I actually used to see Donnell Harris all the time. Yeah, and I and I he. I saw him a couple times with Channing Fry as well. And uh, yeah. I'm like, I bet you I'm the only person in this bar <laughs> who recognizes Donnell Harris, right? Yeah. So, so I. Donnell, hey, shout out to Donnell, though. He just got his degree from Arizona. He hey, okay. Big ups. Yeah. So I mean this in the best way. Was there any bit of nervousness when Donnell was kind of missing one, making one in, in overtime there? Um. I mean, yeah, because yeah, you're gonna be nervous, man. You want to win, <laughs> but like, we all—I knew he wasn't gonna miss two in a row, you know. Usually, so like Donnell, he was gonna knock down one or two, and Donnell is, was the perfect person to have at the line because he didn't miss because he was nervous. Like he—he's a guy that just plays his game, and he, he wasn't gonna worry about anything going on. He wasn't gonna be affected by the the gravity of the moment. If he missed, he missed, but it wasn't because he was scared to shoot those shots. So I was confident to have him up there. Probably more than if I was up there, shoot, because he was shot better free throws than me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to transition to today's Arizona team because obviously they're now under the tutelage of first-year head coach Tommy Lloyd. During the hiring process, AJ, there was a lot made from local media, maybe even national media, about 
who Arizona was going to pick you personally, as an alum, as a former player point blank, did it bother you at all at that time that a quote unquote, Arizona man wasn't chosen a former player or a guy who's been around the program? Yeah. I think all of us, you know, wanted, you know, one of our guys to be, you know, considered or be in there with, you know, Damon was doing a good job. Miles was up for it. Um, you know, and, and would have loved to have those guys. And it still may at some point, you know I mean? You never know, but coach Lloyd, I mean, come on, man, <laughs> like the job that he's been doing, you know, nobody can be upset with what he's doing. Like he's come in, he's reestablished the culture of Arizona. They play the, the way that we love to see basketball played. He's empowering guys. You know, he does it from a positive perspective and, you know, you couldn't ask for more than what he's doing with this team. Like, they're fun guys to watch. You can tell that they like each other, um, you know, on and off the court. And he's built, like, very quickly, like, a really good culture, Arizona basketball culture that's fun to watch and easy to support. So he's done a heck of a job, man. And so, you know, I'd say that all the time. Like, yeah, we were upset. And, you know, I had Ben Davis on my podcast, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And Ben and I discussed that. Ben, you know, was pushing hard for for uh, Damon. And, you know, we were – and he was like, man, but, you know, we're happy with what we got. We got – you know, we're going to be happy with Coach Lloyd for a long time. So, yeah, you know, you were it turned out good for everybody, I think. So, as these coaching transitions happen, obviously the one uh, from Luke to Russ Pinnell to Sean Miller was – difficult let's put it that way and then you know the one from sean to tommy lloyd was difficult for a different reason what kind of discussions do you guys have other than you know saying hey we want one of our own guys but is there ever any like trepidation or fear that maybe the next guy up is just not going to be you know the arizona standard or that our our good name is sullied in some way yeah i think you always have that you know what i mean like if you care about your school and you know you're you have emotional commitment to it you're always going to worry about that but they made the, the right decision absolutely 100 with tommy lloyd so you know um he's just done exactly what he said he was going to do you know and he's also you know i think the other thing that guys worry about is are you going to be close to the program you know are they going to keep the alumni engaged and give you know make you feel like you're a part of it and he's since day one he's done that he's been totally honest and upfront even when he first came on and he knew he knew there was questions from the alumni and, and all of, you know of, of all of us and you know he handled that perfectly well and said hey look i'm gonna do a great job here you know you're the door is always open for you guys um we want you around you know come around anytime if you need tickets come to the game whatever you know just uh, be a part of it and you know he's, he's stayed true to that word and you know i've been a huge supporter this year it's been fun to watch and you know, doing a podcast and, you know, having some of the guys on, you know, current players and stuff, it makes you feel like you're part of the team a little bit more. So it's, it's been, it's been really fun for me. Are there any similarities between your 97 team that you see and this current team? You alluded to the fast pace. He's allowing them to to play what Arizona's brand of basketball historically is. Let, empowering them, I think is the word you used. Are there any similarities between your 97 team and this one? Um. There are. I mean, the style of play. I think the the, th the biggest thing is the chemistry, man. And I, I've known, I've seen it between all of them. Like interviewing the guys, just hearing them talk about their their teammates. You can see it on the court that they, all of them, are on the same page, and all of them are pulling together. Nobody cares who scores the most points. No, they just want to win. You know what I mean? And that that was what that was us in '97. That, so that's the biggest thing. And I think the biggest, you know, attribute that they have this year, and you know, it's just like the the, we, the loss to UCLA was tough, right? Like that was a tough game. Like everyone's losing their minds, and you know, ah, oh, we're not as good as we thought we were. 
I don't agree with that at all. And, you know, they don't agree with that. You know what I mean? So, like, they're perfectly built to like, bounce back from stuff like that, I think, and get better. You know what I mean? Even the game against ASU, I'm glad that was a, a tough game for them. And they could have folded. You know what I mean? A lot of teams in that predicament coming off a bad loss and then, again, in a, in a tough battle may have just laid down. You know what I mean? It took a loss at home. But they didn't do that. They kept fighting. They stayed together throughout the entire game and were able to pull out that victory. Now, you know, we get to – be ready for UCLA again on Thursday, which I can't wait for. It's going to be a blast. Hey, uh, I obviously don't expect you to say that your 97 team would lose to anyone, but if you were to pick one team from the Sean era or this year's team with Tommy, that would give you the most run for your money. Who, which team would that be? If you look over the course of what's it been now, like 12 years or so. That's tough. That's a tough one. I'm never gonna pick against us just because we <laughs> we were we were dumb. Who can keep it the closest? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I you know it wasn't you know Tommy or, or Sean's team, but probably the 2001 team, probably. You know what I mean? Because Lauren Woods, you know Michael Wright, Gilbert, Jason Gardner, Richard, Luke, like that was a tough one, man. They had, they had you know similar to what we had, but Lauren wasn't. Lauren was a beast, man, and I don't think Lauren gets enough credit or is talked about enough for what he. The player that he was, like he was, he was amazing, man. So, and I practiced against him. He was, you know, when I was a senior, he was still he was at Arizona, so he couldn't play. I practiced against him every day, and man, he was rough. <laughs> he was he was so long. He was such a great shot blocker, and defensive player. And he was just a really good player. So I think uh, I think the 2001 team would probably be the best matchup. See, I'm glad you went on out on a limb and picked a team that had seven NBA players on it to give you a, <laughs> to give you a run there, right? So. <laughs> Way to, way to stretch it out there. So, uh, so kind of going back a question here. Um, when when can we expect you, you know, to be in McHale? How often do you make it back to games? And uh, are you planning on going? You know, you talked about maybe getting together with the, with your 97 teammates later this year. But are you planning on going to maybe the Pac-12 tournament, some games in McHale, any NCAA tournament games, anything like that? I, you know, I, I planned on coming out this season, um, but it's been tough, man. I, you know, I got kids that I coach and, you know, one of my kids, my older son's playing high school ball. And so, um, you know, I've been, I've been looking at a weekend. I'm like, I'm going to go that weekend and something comes up and I'm like, dang, I can't make it. But I was out there, you know, before the season for Coach Olson's uh, celebration of life um, and got to meet the guys and, you know, meet the new team and talk with Coach Lloyd and all that. And that was wonderful. Um, the Pac-12 uh, tournament is when I work uh, in New Mexico for our New Mexico Activities Association, which is like uh, the high school sports association. And we have our huge, our basketball tournament's one of the biggest ones in uh, in the United States. And it's the same weekend every year as the Pac-12 tournament. So I'm always having to be at the tournament if ever could make it out there. But if they, uh, depending on where they go for the, for the NCAA tournament, I love to come catch a game and watch them play because this team is just fun to watch. Absolutely. Hey, let's get to some quick hitters here. And we do have a pretty good Arizona following. And I want to get to some of these fans questions. I'm going to start with this. This kind of made me laugh. You got to, I don't take it too seriously. I think it's kind of funny, but let me ask you as his teammate uh, and as a former player, should Kirk Creesa have written a written an apology to Jason Terry for wearing the high socks and then proceeding to go scoreless against UCLA? (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that one. But no, nah, dude, I love Kirk Reese, man. And like he's he's one of my favorite players on the team. And like I don't even care that he went over 12. You know, what I mean, you're gonna, when you're a player like that, like sometimes it's gonna happen. But you're gonna bounce back and you know he played better the last game. I think he's gonna play really well against UCLA on Thursday. And uh, you know, JT didn't always make all his shots. His senior year he did, but 
Before that, he had some cold nights. You know what I mean? It happens. <laughs> I like that. Hey, who was the team that you hated the most? I'm talking deep down in places you don't talk about that you were like super riled up to play against. You hated the fans. You hated everything about them. Who, who UCLA, was that? Team? UCLA. That's quick. UCLA. Yeah, still, still now. So, <laughs> yeah, we always battled those guys, man. And they were, I mean, they had a lot of talent. Baron Davis and, you know, Jelani McCoy and Dan Gedzerich and all those dudes. Like, they had, they had players, but we always, those were the guys that we really, you know, and Stanford too, like Stanford, we didn't really hate Stanford. They were like our rival, but we didn't like UCLA or Arizona State, like either one. Right. I'm glad you mentioned UCLA though, because I mean, you mentioned how great the Pac-10 was when you were playing and how tough it was. And over the past 10, 12 years, either Arizona has been really good or UCLA has been very good. And maybe with the exception of the Lonzo, Laurie Markinen year, where I think that was a top three matchup uh, this year. And moving forward, it seems as if that rivalry is back in the Pac-12, the premier West Coast rivalry in my estimation. How important is that to have that back, UCLA-Arizona? No, it's big. I mean, it's, it's huge for the conference. You know what I mean? And when uh, it's kind of like the NBA. You know what I mean? When the, when the Lakers and the Knicks and the Bulls are good, the, the NBA is better. And I think that's the same way that it is, you know, with the Pac-12. And the, the marquee matchups, especially on Thursday night where – at a better time slot too you know what i mean it's not at midnight like it was last time <laughs> but i think uh, i think it'll be a you know a really good showing for the pac-12 on a national stage on espn and um we deserve it but you know really none of this matters until the tournament like the all the only thing that matters is who's standing you know at the at the end of the tournament so uh, but it's always good to have some good shine on the west coast because we don't always get that you know sub i'm glad you brought up uh that Lonzo ball team. Cause I think I was politely asked to leave gentle Ben's uh, that game. Cause I didn't go to that game, but I am going down on Thursday uh, to go to McHale center. My first time there this year. What is it that you uh, miss the most about McHale center and what makes it so special? I mean, obviously the fans and they're very knowledgeable, but are there any specific people that you remember from your time there who are still there and uh, you know, just elaborate on McHale center. Yeah. I mean, I think just, the McHale experience in general. And really it's the best thing about it is like and the team this year does it too. It's like when you used to go on like a run, you know what I mean? Like a 10-0 or 15-0 run. And like I said, like our 98 teams, like we went on some like 27-0 runs and stuff like that. Just the energy of the crowd and the, and the fans during that time, it just builds and builds and builds. And it just gets to such a level that you can feel it, you know what I mean, in, in, in your body. And so, um, you know, I and this year, I don't know if it's, been that way the whole year you know what I mean I, but the Arizona State game I thought was I thought that was a per, kind of the first game that felt like the old McHale you know what I mean and so and I'm sure Thursday is going to be crazy but um, you know it's just a special place to play and you know Coach Olson and just the spirit of of him being there and you know what he built and so many of the just the history of the players that have played there I mean it's just you have you feel lucky to grace that court because of the the long-standing history of guys and what they've done and who came before you and, you know, who the standard that you feel like you have to live up to when you play there. You mentioned the old Mikhail. AJ, who do we have to call? You might be our best bet, our first person of interest. Who do we have to call to get the Cactus logo back yes. on the court? Yes, I like that. I like Who, who do no, we call? I, I who, you got to pull some strings. You're the champion. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll make an inquiry for sure because I missed that. That's, that's, the best, that's the best logo out there, man. I love that logo. <laughs> Absolutely. So – Take yourself outside of McHale. Is there a spot in Tucson restaurant, bar, I don't know, lo any local business that was there in 97 when you were there that's still there today that you're like, this is my second home? Gentlemen, 
That was, okay. our, that was our spot. You know, <laughs> dirt bags, we kind of did, you know, a little bit here and there, but gentle bins was our spot, man. And the cat house back in the day, but I don't know if that's still there. That was that was a great place too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that gentle bins probably is the one that comes to mind the most though. I mean, Taryn, I think we only spent time, at, we did Ben's bags three nights a week for, well, I did it for like six years, but <laughs> you did you did it for like four and a half. But yeah, good. I'm glad to see the old, you know, the old hats are still the, the place to be. So right. here's, a, I need a piece of advice from you. So this is going to be my girlfriend's first game at McHale okay. and I'm taking her to the biggest game uh, of the year or maybe of the last two years in McHale. Is there something specific I should tell her to expect or be prepared for here? Uh, I think I would take her to the Hall of Champions. I don't know if you, if, can you tour that? You can't tour that, right? I think you can. Yep. That's probably mm-hmm. And you got to get her a picture, you know, outside with Coach O's statue. You got to do that for sure. And then, uh, just make sure that she screams loud, man. She's got to, you know, you got to bring it when you come to the game, especially the, the UCLA game, man. You got to get her like a bullhorn or, you know, something like that where she, <laughs> she can represent. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this. And a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people have this same answer as an Arizona player. So I'm going to go reverse and I'm going to ask you instead of the best venue, the one with the most juice away, obviously, what was the absolute worst venue you played in? Like you were sleepwalking, no energy from the crowd, just boring. <laughs> Couldn't get up. Anyone? It that didn't happen very often because I think teams they always gave us their best. We were always the biggest game on their schedule. So you know, what I mean, even if they didn't have a good home atmosphere or whatever, and Coach Olson always played a top schedule. So like we weren't playing really many cupcakes unless it was you know our Christmas tournament or whatever. But um, you know, usually on the road, that was that was a huge game for whoever we were playing. I would say probably the toughest place to play was was at the pit in, in here in Albuquerque, um, and everyone was booing the crap out of me the entire game. So it was loud. It was loud, and <laughs> people were mad. But I, I actually loved that that kind of environment. I like playing on the road, you know, maybe a little more than even playing at McHale because when you're going into somebody else's gym and it's a big game and you're able to just make that silence, and you know, <laughs> and you go, you know, and you're just beating them bad in their own gym. That's a that's a special feeling. I always like playing on the road too. So kind of the same thought, but a little different. Other than Australia, was there a road trip that you guys went on for the non-basketball side of things? You know, like, oh, we got to go to Corvallis in January for three days. What was the worst road trip that you would, would go on every year? Oof, that's a tough one. Yeah, the I'd probably say Washington, Washington State. Like, the Washington State trip wasn't that great. Like, Seattle was always good, you know what I mean? But the trip up to Washington State was not fun usually, you know what I mean? We, I think we stayed in whatever it's called, Moscow, I think across the you know border in Idaho and drove over there. It was freezing, like it was nothing to do. But um, they got some good basketball out there. It was Clay Thompson's alma mater, you know, one of my favorite players. So they got that going for them. You got the goatee <laughs> like Clay, man. I love Clay, man. That's my that's my son's favorite player. So he's, he's all about Clay. I'm glad he's back. Hey, who was the toughest player you ever had to defend or stick in a game? That's tough. Um, you know, Tim Young was tough, man, back in the day at Stanford, the big seven-footer. Um, Tom McCullough from Washington because he was he was like seven foot two, 300-something, and he was a player that never brought the ball down. Like, he, he was so fundamental that he would just catch it and just keep it here. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, Bring it down a little bit or something. You know? I'm glad you brought up Todd McCullough because I feel like everyone just remembers Shaq dominating him in the 01 finals, which isn't yeah. fair. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, Shaq did that to everybody. But, like, Todd was so – I mean, he was really good, you know what I mean? And so 
I remember I'd have to meet him at like half court and start pushing him so he couldn't get down to the block because I was like 227 back then. Not very not very big, and he had me probably by 100 pounds back then. <laughs> who do you think, I mean, kind of, again, similar question, but who do you think across your four years you played was the, the best player that you that you played against where you just instantly were like, oh, this guy's going to be an NBA superstar? You know, Vince, Vince or Paul Pierce or maybe someone Paul, else. It was Paul, man. Paul Pierce, I say that a lot. I played, we played, you know, I played against Paul my freshman year, sophomore year, junior year as well, and every game he was just like so smooth and dominant, you know what I mean? Like he, he was just a pro already. And there was a lot of guys though. I mean, Vince, obviously, you know what I mean? Anton Jameson, Baron Davis, probably the most, one of the most talented players, you know, I played against. Um, but all around, I would say Paul Pierce is the most solid one that and the best pro prospect that, that turned out that way. You know what I mean? Once he got to the league, but yeah, Mike, Mike D used to always go at him, though. Michael Dickerson, that was his favorite matchup to go at. Like, he, he didn't like Paul Pierce, so he, he would go at his head all the time. <laughs> we only got a few more minutes, so we'll get you out of here on just a couple more questions, AJ. Local media is always hilarious to me when looking at message boards, whether it be I mean, any school. You look at East Lansing. I'm sure it's insane there for Michigan State. Local media, when the team in – the local media in Tucson, excuse me, when they were covering you in 97 versus what you may see – during today's age with Twitter and social media, is it, is it tougher for kids? Is the local media tougher on kids today or were they tougher on you in 97? Do you see any parallels? I think it's, I can't imagine being an athlete today, man. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Especially a college athlete, like there's just so much access now. And like, you know, local media was tough on us back then though. Don't get me wrong before the tournament. And they were saying, this is the worst team Arizona's ever had. They've never had 10 losses. Like, they, they expected us to lose. Like, we never got to 10. You know what I mean? We were 25 and 9 because we won it. But everyone was on our heads, you know what I mean? Because we had lost those last two games. They're like, ah, the big guys are terrible. You know what I mean? Like, we have good guards, but the big guys haven't done anything. And so, like, you heard it. You know, you still heard it. But now it's just anyone can reach out to you directly and just say whatever they want to you. So I know I know it's got to be tough for guys, you know what I mean? But I think they they're also grew up in a different generation, so they're a little bit more used to it. You know, have have some thicker skin than, than maybe we had back then. I I would guess a couple of those writers that you referenced there are still employed in Tucson. I'm I'm guessing one uh, one in one that. in particular that I <laughs> won't say by name, but uh, you know, I don't want to get anybody in trouble here. But um, <laughs> so you you coach basketball now, and so you know, obviously helping them deal with the, you know, the Twitter age is, is, is important, but how do you personally plan on keeping involved in basketball? You know, you've got the podcast, you're coaching, anything else uh, you're going to do going forward to stay involved in the game? Yeah, I still, I still train kids here. You know, I, uh, I have three or four kids that I train right now. Uh, I used to do, you know, training all the time, but just got too many responsibilities and busy, but I pick and choose, you know, kids that really want to develop and, and want to put the time in and, and are willing to, to work and listen. And, um, you know, that's been really fun. So I like developing players. You know, I do basketball camps during the summer, all of that stuff, but really it's, you know, my, my younger son's team is a seventh grade team. We're getting ready to start our travel season. We'll be all over the place. Um, and so it's just it's just good to be around the game. It's good to give back. And, you know, there's nothing like being a coach and teaching a kid a move, and then they finally do it in a game and, you know, look over and they're like, oh, wow, that worked, coach. And you're like, yeah, I know. I, I've been telling you that for three months. Like, <laughs> you finally did it. But, <laughs> but no, I, I just enjoy basketball so much. It's given so much to me over the years that, you know, I just want to give back as much of it as I can to the younger generation.
Well, we spent this entire interview talking about what you've done on the court and all the terrific things that, that you've accomplished. You've also been doing some phenomenal work off the court. Can you tell us a little bit about your affiliation uh, with the ALS New Mexico chapter? Absolutely. Um, you know, I got involved with, with ALS New Mexico um, probably about four or five years now. And my, uh, my high school assistant coach, Gene Pino, um, has ALS and he's had it. He's one of the lucky ones because he's had it for uh, almost 12 years now. And so, you know, that's that's not normal at all for, for our normal ALS patients. And it's just uh, it's just a very tough disease. And so, you know, we're doing everything that we can here. You know, we do fundraisers throughout the year. We provide, uh, you know, care services to our population of, of, of clients here uh, in New Mexico and really just trying to provide, you know, everything that we can to them to help their lives be better. And so until we can find a cure for it, the best that we can do is raise money, um, you know, to do more research and hopefully we won't have to deal with this anymore at some point. But for now, it's just doing everything that we can to help, uh, you know, our patients be comfortable and live the best lives that they can. Incredibly well said. What we do before we get everyone out of here, our, our interviews, we have this segment called Bring Them Up On Stage. All right. So what I'm asking you is who was someone that you're close with in the college basketball world, coach, player, even former player, someone affiliated with college basketball that you think would have a good time coming onto this program and sharing some stories just like you did. Anyone that you can refer? Ooh, that's tough. You know, it was, it was really, really good. Um, and this is staying in the family though. You know what I mean? Is uh, Eugene Edgerson, man. Gene is, Gene is amazing. I don't know if you guys have had him on yet, but he's he does a great job, man. He, he he's fun. He does a really good job. Perfect. Hey, I might name drop you though, AJ. All right, I might That's use you as a reference. Yeah, you can. That's my guy. You know, he, he hopefully he'll be like okay, but he might be like who? No, <laughs> I I don't blame. I'll tell you what. When you replied yes, first of all, when you replied, period, whether or not it was a yes or no, uh, the fact that, that he replied, we we're like, all right, man. At least we're on his radar. But AJ Bramlett, thank you so much for spending the time sharing some incredible stories. Uh, it may not mean a ton to you. I know you're, you're very in tune with your fan base, but this was a real treat for Taylor and myself. No, I appreciate it, man. Check out Bear Down Ballers, too. Absolutely. Yes. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts on there, man. Field of 68 Network. It's, it's fun. So. Absolutely. AJ Bramlett, thank you again. Of course, man. How, do we, how else do we sign off? Bear down, baby. Bear down. Let's go. All right. We want to thank AJ once again, just a blast, a, a, a really, a really, really, really great treat for Taylor and myself. So many great stories, so much insight from AJ. And again, go listen to bear down ballers on the field of 68 podcast network, wherever you get your podcasts shark. Let's finish it off. Now it's the glorious return of Friday bracketology. Yeah, Father, thanks for the setup there. Friday Bracketology, like I said, I met plenty of times. I mean, I'm not going to churn these out every single week. I need to have inspiration for it. And I had enough inspiration where I could fit into four different categories. If you are out there and you want to make a suggestion for the Friday Bracketology, please feel free to direct it my way. Uh, the Sharp BB, I think there's some underscores in there somewhere as well, but you can find me there. Last four in. I had to put meatloaf. This is like my second straight week of meatloaf. I'm still on a meatloaf trip. I had like a bat out of hell. I can't stop. I keep listening to meatloaf. I am extremely productive when I have that going. Meatloaf is in. All right, last four in. JetBlue TVs. I was able to watch. This was a couple weeks ago when I had a flight. I was watching Michigan State take on Illinois. 
that was a great game to be able to watch. You can lock in on a JetBlue TV. They just find a way to get direct TV on there. You know, there's never any issues. You ever notice that with JetBlue TVs? They never have any issues. No excuses. They're not like American where you got to bring your own iPad on with the touch screens and all this stuff going on. They're not like uh, Delta when it's like a glare going on. You might have it break down because it's too fancy. JetBlue TVs, they're just coming right at you. They're giving you what you need. College basketball tune during the NFL games. This one is absolutely crucial, especially around this year, even though the NFL games are over on CBS. But if you're watching like Chiefs Bengals and all of a sudden you hear the you get a little tingle down where we don't want to talk about right now, but you know what I'm talking about. And the last one is steam rooms and saunas. My God, I was able to get in my my steam room down in the DC area. Love it so much. It's like such a refreshing way. You come out of that thing, you feel ready to take on the world. That's a great way to really, um, excuse me, a great way to really get yourself centered. First four out. All right, so with the good, we got to take the bad. The MLB Hall of Fame voters, this is a little dated at this point. I mean, you can't stand those turds. Uh, losing power. We had a storm here in Boston the other day. Didn't lose power, but I thought about losing power, which was I've lost power and it's never good. Taylor, you probably never have to deal with that over in Arizona. Absolutely horrific. Jeff Garcia, uh, again, a little dated here, but the Mina Kimes fiasco, uh, Jimmy G didn't really add up to it. Although he was playing great up until that final drive. Everyone just knew that uh, it wasn't going to work out. But you gotta- I, don't, I, I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. He was playing really well. He was playing really well. Can I also say real quick about the interception? Had he taken that sack, it would have been like fourth and 25. Yeah, no. He's just trying to get back to the line of scrimmage. And there's a difference between, you know, but like he he makes, and this is why he's been successful. I think everyone wants to point out how good he is versus, you know, uh, his team's winning. He makes big time third down throws. Like he was hitting Kittle on big throws. He was hitting Joan Jennings. Um, I know he's still Jimmy G, but you got to give him credit for that. The story could have been different. He should have thrown like four picks in like four consecutive possessions. You guys are talking like he was making like throwing fucking dimes out there. The previous possession, he hit Jalen Ramsey in the fucking chest. Yeah, that was but, not a big third down throw. The previous, the, pre- the possession uh, yeah, before that, he had a what, ball tipped at the line that was dropped by the defensive lineman. Okay, but what about you're going to count those and you're not going to throw include the throw to Kittle for a touchdown on a well, key yeah, drive? I'm, I'm the, just saying yeah. you're talking. He was oh, he was playing super well. Like other than the three drop picks in the consecutive, uh, he was like 270 and two touchdowns. Yeah. Brother. He was playing well. Why do we, I mean, at, at some point, I mean, it's already happened. Kyle Shanahan. Just, he would have won that game if. Jerkivius Tart, you know, caught that interception. Like Jimmy that was G with went a, ahead of that was like with eleven minutes left. Okay, three so point lead. Yeah. Your examples were dated too. But anyways, can I get to my last four out over here? My God, um, I honestly forgot what it was at this point. Oh, last one. This one sucks. People that don't wipe the snow off the top of their car when they're driving—that's just a hazard. I mean, you got to protect your neighbor. You got to protect the person driving to your left and your right because if that falls around, hits you in the windshield, you could crash. Um, so, I mean, this is a little more serious than the first four out, but yeah, that one is definitely out. I love it, Shark. Thank you for bringing it back. Can I uh, bring a couple up? Just take it, take it however you want. Or okay, what do you got? Yeah. First and foremost, I don't even know if it's first four in or out at this point. I'll let you decide. But new hire coaches in the NFL getting the social media yeah. walk into the building video. <laughs> I mean, we saw Brian Dable just painfully awkward, pull up in a huge blue truck, get out, close the door, walk in. Uh, we saw Everflues in Chicago do the same thing. I don't know if that's in or out, but that's the new thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's in or out either because it's kind of cringeworthy, but at the same time, I can't look away. Dable 
the takeaway I had on the Dable one was he was wheezing like that fat guy in Family Guy when it was like, what, what was in that Danish? Oh. What do you think was in that Danish? You think it was cheese? Because I, uh, I got a little problem with cheese. Like That's what Dable sounded like waddling into the practice facility. Um, I'd be worried about that if I was a Giants fan. Well, and the question is, did he travel the entire car ride wearing his suit jacket? You just yeah, don't do that. Yeah, it's I mean, it's definitely time he, It's probably the first time he's ever worn a suit jacket. Yeah, he, he's, he looks like a guy that's not used to wearing a suit, that's for sure. But that, that one was the most stage of all the other ones that played out. Even the guy that held the door for Gable delivered the most coherent and clear uh, good morning, coach. It was like, right, how many times did you rep that one dude at the door? But yeah, so not, what, not a fan of that. What would you rather watch, though? Would you rather watch the introductory walk in or the you're, after you're fired walk out? Because we should be able to see those from both those guys probably in about three years. Yeah, I wonder how Flores' walk out went, uh, knowing, knowing what we know now. Yeah. Not well. All right. My other one, just really quickly, is, and this is first four out, or yeah, first four out. Um, College players leaving and like declaring for the draft and they put together like a fucking word wall essay in a graphic form. Yeah. I mean, thanking everyone. It, it, I mean, I'm talking paragraphs, your, your AP English class essay type of tweets when they're just declaring, you know what I mean? Oh, of course I know what you mean. I, if you notice, I've been, you know, moving a new play into my offense on Twitter a little bit lately with the whole please respect my decision type thing, which is kind of what you're getting at when they go take a huge notes app and type everything out. I, the decisions I'm putting out there are not nearly of the magnitude that you're referencing. But, yeah, I mean, they're ridiculous. Like you're acting like this is headline news for the New York Times to pick up uh, in the sports section tomorrow. You're just some guy that's probably going to end up playing in Lithuania for six years. Is this us starting to get – old are we starting to get get off my lawnish right now with the with this because i've I, it's always kind of bothered me when someone just brings up the notes app and like screenshots it and you can still see how like the cursor is like pinging and they catch and i'm like this is completely unprofessional we would have all gotten f's in in high school uh, if this was like a project we were putting out there so it it, it does kind of rub me the wrong way but maybe today's youth they just don't oh, yeah the, the youth clearly love it so we're probably old for that and they may roll their eyes at us but we can still have our opinions that's exactly my thoughts on Texas Tech fans. All right, we're going to get the hell out of here. We want to thank A.J. Bram- Bramlett once again for jumping on. That was a blast. We're going to continue to get more and more of these interviews, and we will obviously catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.
Find it in the back seat. The generation is.